Now at this time, as the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint developed on the, pair, uh, on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the 12 summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Instead, brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The announcement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and a Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And they brought these men before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. The, the, the word of God kept spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Well, it's always a privilege to be here with you guys. This is my uh, Florida church. Uh, Carol and I come here because we love being here and not because I'm teaching from time to time, but uh, we've loved uh, this church and Jerry and family. It's just a, a great place. So thank you for having us back here. You know, for uh, most of my adult life, uh, I've had four values that I call the who I am values. And I would say to any of our young people, all of us really, but particularly our young people, pick your values. Think through what you value most about life and make that your prayer on a regular basis. There is rarely a day of my life that goes by for decades now that I don't begin my prayer time walking through these four values. The four that I have, I can remember easily through the little acronym LIFT. Love, integrity, faith, and truth. Love, integrity, faith, and truth. We, uh, after a number of years, few years in our church, uh, the church leadership decided to embrace those four values as our church values. And so most of our church members who have come through all the years, they, they, they would hear this, they would hopefully know these are our values. Well, we're going to be focusing today on one of those values, it has to do with faith as it relates to the series that you are in now, if you've been a part of it through the book of Acts. It's a value that can be applied to the church in so many, many different ways. But I want to read to you how we state the value to our church when they hear these are our values. It reads like this, living by faith in Christ and attempting faith-oriented goals in an environment of innovation and change. I'm going to read that one more time because I think I want to make sure that we hear what I'm saying here. Living by faith in Christ, yes. But that is going to be described as attempting faith-oriented goals, in part, in an environment of innovation and change. Now, if you went down to the footnotes of our manual for the membership class, you would read about that in these words here. Regarding innovation and change, we believe that ministry is most effective when done in the context of cultural relevance and in an environment of innovative change, but listen to this, while remaining faithful to the Word of God. So you're in a very unique time in the life of your church. 
The series that you're in now is called Transitions because you're in a transition. And good leadership knows if you're going to take a church through a transition of any type, you better teach well, you better prepare well. Where could you go better than the book of Acts? So it's a tremendous book to that end. But this is important for churches, yes, but also for businesses, for, for families. It's important for you and for me. If we're going to live by faith, we better be ready to change. It will be a life of change. And as you learn a life of change, you better keep in mind that it's going to take faith to live through change. So with that in mind, uh, look in your Bibles. If you haven't already, we've read it, but Acts chapter 6, uh, 1 through 7. I'm going to be picking uh, the verses uh, into details that uh, will help if you have the text in front of you. Uh, assuming you're looking for the text or, or uh, it doesn't need to be up right now, I'll let, let that hold just for a minute on the screen. But uh, uh, I was assuming we'd be looking it up, but I guess now everybody's electronic. But uh, while you're looking it up, let me mention a, uh, an interesting study that was made by Westing, uh, Western Electric uh, many years ago. Uh, it was the effect of lighting to productivity. You may have heard this before or read this. But they were trying to discover how is the productivity in the workplace, how is it affected by light? And so they, first of all, they measured productivity. How, I don't know, but they measured productivity by taking all the workers in a particular places and they measured their productivity. Then after a period of time, they came back and they they heightened the wattage of the lighting so that it became much brighter, and then they measured productivity. What do you think happened to productivity? It went up. And just to make sure that it was accurate and so forth, they, they assumed, obviously, if we lower the, product, the, uh, the brightness of the light, what will happen to productivity? So they lowered the wattage and so forth, measured productivity over a period of time, and so what happened to productivity. It went up. It went up. And they went, whoa, it went up. We assumed it was the brightness of light that impacts productivity. And they find out, no, 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 it is an environment of change. Let an environment have change, and there's going to be productivity. Well, let me tell you, in the Christian life, there's going to be change. And should bring productivity as there's change. When there's no change and we become stagnant, what happens? We lose the productivity. Now, change can be very dangerous. It can be. We have to determine what is it that we can and cannot change, should or should not change. For instance, some kids grow up and they hear the Bible is God's word without error. And then they become real bright and they decide, you know what, that doesn't make sense now. I don't think it is. I'm going to change my opinion about the Bible. Well, that's a very unhealthy change. So you have to be careful in that regard. And keep in mind, when things are going well, I don't care if it's the church, the family, your own life, whatever. When things are going well, what do we do? We resist change in a big way. We press against it saying, I like the way things are now. I think I'll just let things stay as they are because I know it's good. I don't know what's happening when change comes. Maybe it's better, but maybe it's not. I'll take where I am today. 
And so in any organization, and the church is an organization, it's an organism, it's alive, it's a body, but it's also an organization. And with that, we have to realize, we have to think through change, and it better be connected to faith. Now, why am I teaching this particular text? You already found out, because he assigned it to me. I would have never come to say, well, let's talk about this particular text as one message that I get to give. Uh, there's great reason, though, where you are in the life of the church that this makes great, great sense. It's a historical text. Keep that in mind. It's not a didactical text where you, you see teachings about these are the things God says about himself, and this is that what he says, and this is, and do this and don't do that. It's not that. It's historical. Both the Word of God. But in a historical text, you do not have what is prescriptive. You only have what is descriptive. It describes what God is doing. That may show the norm. It may show something that even is prescribed somewhere else. And so we have to be very careful as we look at the Word of God not to make descriptive prescriptive. But there are certain things we can gain from this to say, ooh, this is how I need to apply this in my life. And when we come back to the gospel, as we weave the gospel of redemption into this message, you'll see how it applies to every one of us. So I'm going to invite us right now to pray one more time. And here's what I want us to pray. I want us to personally pray, God, I want you to begin a new change in my life whether I've been changing too gradually in the right direction, not changing much at all, regardless, God, let me see greater change even as we see some of these insights. Let's pray briefly with me, all right? Father, that's our prayer. Each one of us would now say to you, would you please change my life because of your truth here? Change this church all for the better because of this text. Change each of us that are members here to be better members because of what we learned today. People of faith living in environments of innovation and change. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, here's your outline. We'll put it up. And just as it comes, as I come to it, it won't be up yet, but just listen, here be the outlines. If I give you three major teachings from this text, here's how I'd break it down. Number one, the necessity for change. That'll be the first couple of verses. Just that there is a necessity for change. In this particular historical situation, we'll see the situation, whoops, well, we, need, uh, we need change. It's very important as we read the text. When we come to verse 3 through verse 6, those verses are going to help us understand the procedure for the change that they made. It's going to be a particular historic issue that is taking place, but it'll give us insight into our own need as we think, okay, I have to prepare and understand what is the procedure for my change. The third piece is the seventh verse, and with that we'll see the result of change. If we don't have the results that are appropriate, we know that our procedure was wrong. We have to go back to the procedure. See, did we use a good procedure or not? So this would be a great little outline for life, how to live life. Look for the need of change, then figure out what's the procedure for change, and then what should the results be if the change is what I believe it should be. 
So first of all, the necessity of change. Again, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. Here's how it reads. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, there's the change that's taking place, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews or Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve, the apostles, the authority of the church, they summoned the congregation of the, of the disciples, that's believers, and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to be serving these tables. Now, here's a few observations I think we can make from the text. First, there was growth in the body. That's the change, growth in the body. Now, I use that word body because the church is referred to the body of Christ. And so the body has a head. Who is the head of the church? Jesus is the head of the church. So we have an organism. We have something that's alive. Oh, no, it's, it's still an organization, but it is growing as a healthy church is going to be growing. It doesn't mean it's growing numerically, but it's growing. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But the disciples were increasing in number. Now, let me just make a, a little, little pause here about growth. I came up in ministry in the, uh, uh, in the 70s. I started uh, pastoring in the early 70s, mid-70s. At that point, there was a movement taking place in, in church life particularly in America, it was coming out of America, and it was called church growth. And everything was about church growth, church growth, church growth. Now, it's good for a church to grow. I'm preaching on it right here. It's happening in the, in the early church. So, yes, we want church growth. Here's the issue, though. The issue is health that causes growth. It's not growth, period. And that's where we got offline a little bit. And now the big issue for churches is how do we get as big as we can possibly get? And if we can become really big, then we're really good. If we're not getting really big, well, we're not as good as those that are getting really big. What happens with pastors? Go to a conference. You'll see it. It just drives me crazy. Hey, what's your name? How big's your church? How big's your church? I don't even know the number. I couldn't tell you. I don't know. Why does that? No, no, no. The issue is health. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if I came back here a year from now at my height? I'm not a tall person. At my height, I come back and I weigh, let's say I exceed 300 pounds, 350 pounds. How many of you are going to see me walk up and your first thought's going to be, wow, how did he do that? <laughs> that is impressive. I want to figure out, and I'm going to do the same thing. I'd like, to, I'd like to add 200 extra pounds to my normal body size. No. No, you don't want to do that. You'd be saying, something may be wrong. Now, you can be very large and very big and be very healthy. But you don't have to be big to be healthy. But if you're healthy, you're going to grow to the size that you should be growing. Maybe you don't increase beyond, I think everybody like a body has a, human, a, a, a size that we get to that's normative for us. And people die, people leave, people have issues and so forth, they have to go, but people are coming in because it's growing. There's life. So keep that in mind as we talk about 
the idea of this church being growing, and therefore every church has to be growing in a particular number. Well, it, it may be growing numerically. That's good if you're healthy. In this case, the church was healthy, it was growing, and therefore there was changes taking place. And they're having to figure out how do we deal with these changes. For instance, when our church began, first of all, it was just Carol and me, and we had a two-month-old. And uh, so we were the only people in our church when we moved to Atlanta. And so we started meeting people and, and starting a church. We, can you imagine the difference in how we operated as a church when we were one year of age? Let me tell you, I was doing this and I was doing that. And I was doing this. I'm doing, now, these many years later, I was, not, I was not doing all of those things. No, no, no. I had to change what I was doing to make sure that the church became healthy. That's the story here. So number two, as a a sub-point to our first point, the necessity of change, there were gaps in meeting needs. That's what happens when change takes its place. There are gaps in meeting needs. The Hellenistic Jews, those were Jewish people who adopted the Greek culture. They were Jewish, but they were acting like Greeks. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever. There were the native Jews who said, no, we're going to resist the influence of the Greeks. We don't like some of that influence. We want to keep it, we want to be the Jewish culture that we've always been. Now, we have our equivalent of those kind of problems. I'm not going to go into them, but in the church, there are all kinds of things that, as the church grows, the age population grows differently. There's different desires in music. There's different this, different that. And you have to say, okay, there's change taking place. What do we do about that change? But we do know this, that growth without cultural change, uh, structural change, as you say, creates unmet needs. So then, this first point again, a third insight, there were gifts being misused. And that's what happens very often in an organization as it changes, as it grows, as it comes to different ages as a church and so forth. So our text reads, it is not desirable for us, the apostles, to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. So what they were doing, they were, they were missing out on what they should be doing. And they were doing the wrong things. It was like when I was at Perimeter uh, as a senior pastor. Uh, years had gone into the early life of our church, and I was visiting every woman who went to the hospital to have a baby much less everybody that went to the hospital and that was sick or having surgery and all that. It was me. I was going early on to everything. And, and then next thing you know, I was doing all the counseling. The next thing you do, I was doing all of this and all of that and all that. And the leadership came to me and said, whoa, 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 it's got to change. You can't keep doing everything. It's a, it's a misuse of your gifts. And so there had to be changes. Did people like the changes? Oh, my goodness. No, they didn't like the changes. Oh, I can remember getting, I had, there was bloodletting from time to time I felt. It was just like, oh, my, all I'm doing is changing my role here. Well, you don't, well, you, and I'm going, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Covenant Church, apply this to your situation here. Changes are taking place. The question is, how do, you, how do you look at those changes? What if you don't necessarily agree with the changes or don't like them? Maybe not because you have a good reason against them, but I just don't like them. You know, everyone falls into four uh, categories of attitudes, I'll call them. Pick whichever you might be in. 
Now, don't pick somebody else what they're in. This is for you, okay? So I'm going to give you four. One, traditionalists. Okay? Two, radicals. Three, conservatives. Four, progressives. All right? So if you want to say, well, tell me the difference in them. Let's use parking. That's a good illustration for today. Let's just assume that there was a need for more parking here, all right? How applicable is that? So what does the traditionalist say? Traditionalist says, no. No, we have never had more parking than we have right now. And we're going to well, keep that parking, and that's all we've had this many spaces. We'll keep that many spaces. Everything's been fine for several decades now. Let's just leave everything alone. There's your traditionalist. Your radical. Your radical says, absolutely, at all cost, you know. Well, we don't have much room. We need, I'll tell you what we'll do. We're going to go five stories up. Five stories up with the parking deck. That's what we're going to do. We'll take care of that problem right now. Whoa, whoa, no, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. Did you, did you know that's against the codes of our, of our county and of our, our, our city here and so forth? It's against the codes. We can't do that. Okay, let's, we're going to pick it. We're going to go pick it. We'll go get the. They're radical. Nothing stops them. Then you've got the conservatives. They're the ones that say, yes, but, but, have you thought through this? If you came earlier, there wouldn't be a parking problem. <laughs> They're your conservatives. Then you've got your progressives who say, yeah, it's going to be a challenge, but uh, let's put together a team, let's prepare a plan, and let's try to introduce the plan, and let's so on and so forth. Everybody's different. We're wired differently. But let me just say this. They all can be very valuable to the life of a church. But please, during this great time of transition, examine your hearts. Examine your hearts. Do not let your preference come before the needs of your church. When a church comes in one heart with that commitment, wow, watch what happens. Watch what happens. So number two, so that's the necessity for change. This is historic, a particular situation. We have our own situation here and so forth. But let's look at the procedure for change, verses 3 through 6. And this is where it begins in verse 3. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation. Well, we don't know why seven. This is historic. So that's not an issue. Men, does it mean that these have to be men today to do this particular? No, but that's, we don't know why there. But we do understand that it would say of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of the task. But we, the apostles, say we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. This statement found approval with the whole congregation. That's amazing. That found approval? By the whole congregation? You think, were there only two people in the church? What, how did that happen? I don't know, but keep going. And they chose Stephen, who I'm not, I was going to preach next week, but I've got a funeral that came up for next week, so I'm going to come back the following week, and I'm going to teach uh, the next text, which has to do with Stephen, a man full of faith, a Holy Spirit, mentions the other six, and then it says in verse 6, And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, 
they laid their hands on them. So, to break that text down, number one, I'd say the problem was analyzed by the leadership. That's what you saw. The authority, the apostles, they came together, they analyzed the problem, and they said, we've got to make a change here. They evaluated what was going on and then came up with the plan they thought would be good. Now, that plan does not need to have people all around them swarming with murmuring and complaining. That's your Ephesians 4 text that is so important for the church today. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it may give grace to those who hear. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So the problem was analyzed. The next thing, a proposal was presented to the people. Now we're going to get into some polity here, how this works. There's some great insights here. Verse 3 says, therefore, brethren, select among you seven men of good reputation. He's say, they're saying, okay, the authority came up with a plan, but the people have a very important part of selecting who are the people that should be a part of that plan. Because this, by the way, is the birthing of the diaconate. And you may know that. We have elders in the church, the authority, but then we have the deacons of the church who are, have more of a serving role. Now, in light of that, we see from our, our, uh, our text that uh, they come up with this plan. All right, here's where we're going to do it. We're going to have these people who are going to do this, and we're going to do that. Now, this raises the question. So now we have deacons and elders. And the historic church says this is where the deacons are birthed. This is it. And we ask the question, well, what do deacons do in the church? And people say, well, they do this, or they only do that. Well, wait, wait, why, why do you say that? That came in a historical context of we have, the elders are doing this, and, and they can't do what they need to do. Well, what needs to be done that they shouldn't be doing? And there's, that one has to do more with the word, and the other has more to do with serving the people in terms of their needs of life beyond the word and prayer. And so you have two bodies here. Let me tell you, these two bodies are not, they're not ever to be viewed as the elders superior and the deacons inferior. This is where we apply complementarianism, if you're familiar with that term, where two bodies complement each other. By the way, did you know that the three persons of the Trinity, complementarian, they actually support equal parts, supporting each other. They're complementing each other. As opposed to today, a very modern thing, and young people don't buy the lie egalitarianism. Everybody is not only equal, they're the same. Therefore, you can have the same this and the same that, and male, female, it's all the same. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. We're all the same. We're all equal. Equal, yes, but not same. We're different. And so we look at Jesus, and we see who is the exalted one. The exalted one now is Jesus. But wait, wait, wait. Wasn't he the one that came to earth, submitted himself to the Father? He was living in submission to the Father. And at the same time was equal in power, substance, and glory. Oh my goodness, 
This is the model for marriage. We read that in Corinthians. That's what Paul says. This is the model of marriage. Oh, you mean that husband and wives are equal with different roles? Yes, different roles. Well, can one be in authority over the other? Yes, there can be authority. But the beauty is this. When you understand the biblical role, the one who submits was who? Which person of the Trinity? Jesus. He said to himself, he said, I submit to the Father's will. I submit to the, oh, then you're inferior. He said, no, 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 no. Equal in power, substance, and glory. And here's the beauty of Scripture. Those that submit, they shall be exalted as head over all. Uh, you, you look in our family. Am I the head of the home? You better believe it. But as I am the head of the home, I know she's the one in charge, right? Not in charge, but the one that I would lift up to be in charge in many respects. Not authority, no. That's way too much to get in much more. Probably even confuse you with a little bit of that, but let me just say this. We see it modeled. It's starting to be modeled here. Don't ever think that this is egalitarianism. It's not. It's complementarianism. And it's best for our society. It's best for our nation. It's best for our marriage. It's best for our persons. It's best for everybody. Church, hang on to it. Hang on to it. And then we see the people participated in the solution. Uh, interesting. After the apostles laid hands, that's a conveying of authority. It's, it's actually saying the transfer of authority to fulfill a task. Okay, you have the authority to do what you need to do now. But in doing that, it's so interesting. It said, now people, you determine who should these seven be. The apostles didn't go. That's why we have election of, of officers in the church. We say, oh, here's the beauty of you decide. You're among the people. Do you think they're qualified? And so we see that being birthed right here in the early church. And then we see the result of the change. Third and lastly, the result of the change, verse 7. The word of God kept on spreading. The number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. So we see the gospel continue to go out. Now, if your change helps the gospel go out, that's what you're looking for. If it hinders the gospel going out, Watch out, you're moving in the wrong direction. And then secondly, conversions continue to increase. That's got to be the focus. It's discipleship. And it's not just because, well, that's what my job is now. I know I've been saying this all my life. It's discipleship. You want a great church? Be a church of discipleship. And immediately you think, oh, help Christians grow. No, 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 no. Discipleship is anything that helps somebody from a non-follower become a follower and then continue as a follower. So it's making disciples first, and then it is training disciples. You focus as a church. What's going to help you make and train disciples? And the authority is in the eldership. They decide this is what we're doing, and there we submit. Oh, wow, we submit. Maybe I don't agree, but, but we submit. We have to do that as American citizens. We have to do that in authorities that we don't always agree with. And sometimes the authority is not even the, the smartest, the wisest, the best. But we still submit until the authority says, let's go against the will of God. And then we say, no, 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 no. I obey God rather than man. So, you bank on it. 
Organizations which are healthy as organizations, they, really as organisms, as life-bearing entities, they encourage change. Covenant, encourage change. Right change, but encourage change. Don't fight change. And organizations which are not healthy, they will resist change. They will resist. Now, I want to tell you this. Jerry has not told me anything to say, this is happening, this is happening. I have no clue. He's not told me to say anything about anything here. Nothing. I just know church. And I know how church works. And I know people that are in churches. And I just plead on behalf of this church because I love this church. It's the church of Jesus Christ. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Show grace. Be a people who say yes. And oh, my heart says yes, but. But let me just say, leaders, if you decide yes, and we're going to put the right leaders in as years go by, that's our job. But when we do it, watch what God does. I think he blesses the attitude of the hearts of the people much more than he does the wisdom and the direction of the leaders that they make. It's the hearts of our people. Let me conclude with this. The bigger picture, the story of redemption. You can take the same three points to outline. The importance of redemptive change, which the scripture says, without which, without the redemption, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. So there is the most important change in any of our lives is the change of redemption. That is, we have to come under the authority, the love relationship that we should be engaged in with our God who has shown his love to us through the death of his son. Redemption necessitates following Jesus. We don't always do it, but it necessitates it. It does. And if not a follower, then we don't follow. Somebody says, I'm a follower, but I don't follow. I said, no, you're not a follower. Followers follow. But what about if you don't want to follow? Here's my question. Do you want to want to follow? You're in a good place. If you don't want to follow, understand it. But if you want to want to follow, you're in good, good place. You just plead with Almighty God and say, God, I won't quit pleading until I become a follower and I follow. What's the procedure for redemptive change? It's the cross of Jesus Christ. You go to the cross and you go, whoa, look what you've done for me, Lord. How shall you not, if you'll do that, freely give me all things that are good, not all things I want, but all things that are good, but I don't feel that. That's right. That's why this is faith. I keep telling myself all the time, I'm not a feeler. I don't, I wish I got more excited about more things. I couldn't even get real excited about a child scoring the, the, the winning whatever. I, I can't get excited with a hole in one. I can't get excited. And I go, I wish I'd get more excited. But I tell you what I can do. I can be faithful and watch God give those little glimpses of thrill of excitement. Folks, if, if you truly want to see change, you go to the cross 
Go to the Word of God and look at it and stare at it and think about it and just plead, oh God, change me. Where I am is not good. Change me. That's all I want. You change me. And then thirdly, the result of redemptive change, it's holiness. We actually become holy people. We're separated from the ways of the world, their attitudes, their thoughts, their responses, whatever. Just invite God to change you. So one more time, we're going to pray. And this time we're going to say, having heard this, I'm going to pray once again, God, I really mean it. Change me redemptively. Change me. Bring me to you. If I'm yours, God, let me go after you now. Let me fight for you. Let me live for you. All for the glory of God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I do pray for this church. I pray that you would grant this church to have a most incredible transition even in facilities and other things that are going on, with staff that may be here or gone or whatever, I don't know, but whatever it is, God, let there be great wholeness and healthiness of this church. And I pray now more specifically and more importantly for each one of us here who want to see more change in our lives that honors you. God, thank you for those of us that have a want to want to, even if there's this idea that I don't really want it. I don't desire it. I don't feel it, but I want to want it. Oh, God, grant to each person an answer to that prayer right now. And that this time next year, we're going to see people in a different place from where they were even this day because you answered that prayer. Thank you for the cross of Christ and dwell hearts right now. Fill people with your spirit, even now that their power, your power, may work in their lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.